For the past two weeks, we've been learning how to better apply our faith to our everyday lives. Built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and His commission for us to love God and others, let us continue by developing our next Life app. Being able to celebrate the gifts of life many times comes down to our attitudes and what we appreciate or what we don't. President Abraham Lincoln said, you are only as happy as you make up your mind to be. We need an app for that. So let's call this life application our Life Gift app. And let's explore four life areas that we need to celebrate continuously. Let's start with work. And no, I'm not crazy. Work is a gift, if you think of it as so. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been out of work or known someone who can't find a job? Think or remember how that feels. Do you see why we should celebrate and be thankful for the job we have now or the one we're gonna get soon? Work is work, but when we can find the right attitude to try and match our skills with what we're called to do, sometimes it doesn't even feel like work. The key is to make the most of the gift that we're given. Do the best at whatever you're asked. Let's stretch and push ourselves to get better and better at our work. And every time we begin to feel resentful or unfulfilled, remember, we have something that someone else might give everything to have, a job. The opposite of work is play. Play is a gift that keeps giving because when we play, we get rejuvenated. Funny, the guys who come to work here behind me for 81 games a year, they call it playing baseball. They play for a living. Now that's pretty cool. Just think about what play you can start celebrating. Maybe it's a bike ride or a movie or a nature walk with the kids or reading a book or maybe even going to a sports game. And don't forget all the cool ways we get to play today with technology. You can even get a little play in the next time the weather turns nice by rolling down the windows, sitting in traffic and enjoying the playtime that is the beauty all around us. Thirdly, how about celebrating all the people around us by engaging with them? See, I love the word engaging because it says so much. Before getting married, we get engaged. When we join a conversation, we engage. When we take on working with someone else, we establish an engagement. Engaging is acting upon the gift of people who are all around us. So think about this. It's a small thing. Stand in the line at Starbucks for coffee. There's gonna be someone in front of you, someone behind you, like for the next five to seven minutes. What are we gonna do? We're gonna put our heads down and check Facebook? Or are we gonna say hi? You see, you never know who might be standing right next to you. Let's not miss the gift of everyone around us. Lastly, there's the gift of enlightenment. We were made to learn. There's so many places and things that we can see and visit today to learn and be enlightened. We have the arts, the sciences, history, all waiting for us to learn from. And today it's all so accessible, I mean, even on our fingertips. But we still have museums and galleries and concert halls and churches and cathedrals and schools. We can learn not one thing, but many things daily. To be able to learn and become enlightened is an amazing gift that we should be celebrating. So, why is it so important to celebrate the gifts of life? Well, if God went to the effort to create all of this around us and to give us such amazing and awesome opportunities, for us to ignore them is just to miss out on what he's made just for us. Let me ask you this, last Christmas, when you saw those wrapped gifts under the Christmas tree, 
Did you just pick up the boxes that you thought you might like and leave the rest sitting there unwrapped? Well, of course not. We opened them all and we're grateful for each and every one. But of course, we should be grateful for all that we're given. And what God is telling us to do is to enjoy and celebrate all the gifts that he has given us. So this week, let's use our Life Gift app and open up and celebrate. Work, play, engaging with people, and the enlightenment of learning. Blessings to all of you in a minute. I'm, I'm going to try to push in a little bit to lay more of a biblical platform for some of the practical things that Rusty uh, sort of brought up and mentioned that we can do in relation to this theme that we've been exploring or now are going to explore, this idea of celebrating life's gifts and surprises. And this is kind of an app that we wanted to overlay on our larger sort of foundations that we've been exploring. This little mini-series really has a lot to do with our desire to see everyone grow in practical ways. And uh, speaking of growing, one of the things that we've been sort of talking about and challenging everyone to consider doing is um, reading the New Testament through. And this is kind of a six-month plan that we've been trying to get everybody to consider doing. You know, we're three weeks into it around. We started on the 5th of January. It's kind of a chapter a day right now in Matthew, so you can easily catch up. <clears throat> but one of the things that um, I was thinking about and reading about uh, recently it had to do with, you know, resolutions. And um, there's a lot of data and research connected to when people begin to start to have a, a difficult time sustaining after the outset of the year. One of the, one of the things that we, we know now is that one of the critical weeks in establishing a really good habit that we're gonna be able to follow through on is around the third week of January. The third week of January leads into a moment where some researchers have called the moment where all resolutions die, or a lot of them die, and that's February. So that week leading in, those, these, those seven to 10 days leading in to that time frame is actually a really critical time if we were trying to establish something. In fact, I was reading an article uh, just a few days ago that was done from the perspective of Facebook was interacting with the gyms to sort of trace people's patterns when they start and when they stop. And uh, I, I found some really interesting, just a little interesting statement here that is, I think might be helpful for us. It says, people with noble New Year's resolution to work out or work out more should mark their calendars. That resolve starts to waver in the third week in January. That's what the data shows. The pattern shows how difficult it is to make a new habit stick. Attendance is a delicate part of a gym's business. They were using gym as the model. Gyms need new members, but face regulars who complain about crowds, weights, and the poor etiquette of January newcomers, all right? Check-ins on Facebook to facilities with gym or fitness in the name drop 10% in February. According to two years of Facebook data, the decline starts as early as the third week in January, which correlates perfectly with the research. Facebook researchers say that the dip comes after a more than 50% surge from December as people chase vows to lose weight or to get fit. And then they went on to say this, based on the London College research, it actually takes 66 days, that was the number they came up with, um, to establish a habit in our lives. So really I'm gonna to try to keep encouraging all of us to try to read uh, the scripture on a daily basis. I think it would be a tremendous benefit at a soul level. You know, um, when we talk about celebrating, which is a big part of our theme, um, I think a lot of you, you know, this idea of celebrating gifts and surprises, a lot of you are familiar, at least, uh, I'm going to say everyone is, but some of you 
many of you heard me sharing last November when I talked about the surprise I had when my wife and I went to Yosemite. And we, we walked down um, in the morning, and I went down to look at the car, and um, I, I couldn't believe it because the, the seats were completely thrashed in every way. In fact, I asked them, they, just a reminder, what happened to my seats. And what had happened to our chagrin, surprise, uh, was that evidently earlier in the previous day, my wife and I had the doors open, we were putting our shoes on, and we thought we saw a squirrel run in and out, but evidently there was more than one. And my wife didn't see him, you know, and so she closed all the doors. I'm kidding, she wasn't at fault. I really don't know who was at fault. I just say it was my wife because, um, but the truth is that one of them ended up being stuck in there from like mid midday all the way through the night. And by the time he was done, uh, every one of the seats had been, I mean, I was looking for, where's the window that's broken? I couldn't find it. And it, it, there was the little guy, I found him underneath the seat. Much to my surprise. Well, to commemorate, what happened is it took me a long time, about a month and a half to finally get this all resolved with the insurance. And by the time uh, it was done, I remember sharing around that right around Christmas time. And so someone gave me a gift to commemorate my, uh, <laughs> thank you. You know who you are. And um, it, it doubles as a hood ornament, right? It could be a companion on the side. But I just want to say for everyone who's now giving me squirrel gifts, please stop, okay? No more squirrel mugs, squirrel t-shirts, squirrel soap. Ah, we're done with the squirrels. Enough of the surprise. I'm ready to move on. Truly, I am. But, you know, life, life hits us that way. Sometimes things come completely unexpected. And in fact, I still remember that moment. Because that moment, I, my brain, I couldn't, I wasn't able to process what I was actually seeing. It was, it caught me so completely off guard. I, I was looking, I thought, well, somebody must have broken in the car. I couldn't see anything, any access point, right? So I still remember how much of a surprise it was. And it was, I'll be honest with you, it was extraordinarily difficult for me to celebrate anything the rest of that day. I had a very hard time. Part of what we're gonna be exploring is how do we celebrate things? How do we properly position ourselves to receive a blessing? Um, when life can deal us a lot of different different pieces. And, and so I'm going to pray, ask God's blessing, and then we'll look at Jesus and then also examine something that he shared with us that I think is amazing. All right. So Lord, I just want to welcome your presence here. Um, I, I know not, not a one of us here is here because there was something of your, your hand in it. I, I, I don't believe it's happenstance. I do not. Uh, I also know that you're working in our lives, even when it's really hard. Some of us, it's, it's a good time. That's great. Others of us, even though no one may see it, we are really struggling. And so wherever we are, Lord, I pray that um, this would not simply be a light subject, but it actually would challenge us at a very deep level. And so I ask for your blessing to be with us, mercy, grace, to flow among us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Now, for me, all my life, I've thought of church as a celebration. And growing up, I always did. Um, you know, I grew up kind of going to church. Church was a lot smaller. Church was a smaller church. Certainly nothing like what we celebrated about a year and a half ago when all of the services came together in both campuses. And by the way, Lake Merced campus on the west side of the city, they are celebrating the, the third year anniversary over there. And they've got like a big barbecue plan and everything. So, you know, 
Um, we don't have that here at Mission, but we have other things that we get to share together. But I was thinking about it that moment at the Warfield Theater when we all came together. It was like, you know, 2,100 of us, and we were just saying, wow, this is, this is our church kind of gathered here in the city. And, and it was really special, and it was easy to celebrate. But it's also been easy to celebrate Jesus, honestly, all my life whenever I've come, come to church. Because there's always a sense that God... If we approach it properly, he's doing something. A lot of people say, well, well, how can church be a celebration? I think coming to church actually is. Because we get to honor God and acknowledge who he is. And at the same time, we get to allow ourselves to be open to change when we worship him. Remember, I often say, and I really believe this, we become like the things we, like the things we worship. So what may seem like an innocuous thing actually has tremendous meaning. It has obviously more meaning when our heart is connected to it, definitely. But worshiping God doesn't really change God. It changes us. And so also we come to church, we celebrate God's reality. We celebrate his words. We're going to try to learn some things together, apply them to our lives in practical ways. We're going to try to think about what it means to live out our faith in our homes, in, our, in the workplace, even in our social circles. Try to talk about what it means to allow God's word to speak to us at an internal level. A lot of times the most profound things that happen is when we sense the Lord is probing into our heart, trying to get us to open our hearts to something. His word becomes alive. When church is working at its best, when I'm talking about, when Jesus talked about where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Um, when it's working at its best, there's nothing like it in the world. Because what it can do at a soul level goes so far beyond the surface of almost any other thing that we can think of. No entertainment event can ever compare to some of the work that can be done at a soul level. That tremendous breakthrough, life-changing impact can occur when people come together. So when it's working at its best, it is a huge celebration of God. It's not just me and God, it's we. It's something we do together, and the Lord is involved. So thinking about that, you know, I wanted to sort of think about also how Jesus modeled a celebratory life. One of the interesting things about Jesus that I think that sets him apart, and it certainly set him apart from his predecessor, John the Baptist. And when you look in the scriptures and you read Matthew, for example, read the scriptures and the gospels, you realize John, the, the way you call him John the Baptist, because he baptized people under repentance in advance of the coming Messiah. So that was sort of the name that he was designated with. He was the forerunner of Messiah. Jesus said there was none greater than him because of what he was calling, being called to do. He was a herald saying, everything that has been anticipated by the law and the prophets is about to come to fruition in this moment. And when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John, interestingly enough, was a person who did not engage culture well. He tended to live outside of culture. In fact, we know he lived in the wilderness. He was kind of a prophet. He had a prophetic tradition in the sense that he, he stood outside and he spoke into. Jesus, in contrast, was someone who fully engaged culture. He fully entered into it. Part of the brilliance of Jesus, and what is one of the things that is so worthy of being emulated, is that he was able to engage with people who were irreligious and immoral, and others who weren't. And he could move in and out of those relationships and come out of them in a way that many times you and I cannot do. He came out uncorrupted, and yet he was joyful in them. He had the ability to be present and yet pure. There's something about that tension that is remarkable. The ability of Jesus to engage in celebration. If you think about it, the first time that his, he's recorded as, as having a, a miraculous um, you know, exchange 
in this world is when he's celebrating at a wedding. So Jesus was, that's when the first recorded miracle is occurred and is written down. It had to do with a, a, a wedding. I mean, it was a celebration. Jesus consistently was engaging people. People felt comfortable around him, especially broken people. The children loved being around him. So Jesus kind of models this interesting, and that was a, by, by the way, it was a bit of a conundrum for both critics and reluctant admirers because they would watch Jesus operate and they would say, you're supposed to be a holy man. How can you be hanging out with this crowd? And Jesus would say, well, I didn't come to save those who are whole, but those who are in need of, of healing. And at the same time, he was saying, the only difference is, though, these people recognize their need for healing, and you think your act is so much together that you don't even see how much in need you are. It was like very powerful. Jesus would, would sometimes cause people to wonder because he had such an ease in celebration. He could do it, and he could do it in a way that did not become, like oftentimes can happen to you and me, he did not become self-destructive. We talk about the tendencies in our culture to produce addictive behavior at all levels, whether it's with substance, whether it's we talked about playing with technology. Well, technology can become self, it can become destructive in our lives. It's both a brilliant gift and something that is dangerous as well in terms of what it can do. And that can happen in relationships. That can happen in a lot of areas. Point is, we are prone to get ourselves into difficulty. Jesus models a path of just amazing, nimble purity that was capable of, of engaging culture, being part of celebration, and doing it in a way that was not then at the end tagged on with something that had a bad, bad thing happen attached to it. You see the difference? So with that in mind, he gave us this um, an amazing story. It's probably my most favorite story that Jesus has ever gave us. It's a story that um, I've looked at countless times, lived out of countless times. It's a story that, that we call the parable or the story of the prodigal son. Sometimes it is designated by a different name because prodigal means wasteful. But sometimes it's called the parable of two lost sons. And both are true. Both are legitimate designations. What I want to do is I want to look at this story through the lens or through the filter of celebration. And I've, it's something I've actually never actually been able, never done before. And I've been so blessed. I was so blessed doing it. I want to share that and have us think about our life and what it means to celebrate life's gifts and surprises as we look at this amazing, remarkable story. So I want us, if we can, to read through this together. I'm going to, look, I'm going to, I'm going to just read it through. You can follow along. It's uh, from Luke 15. Verse 11, and I'm just going to like pick right up on it and just, like I say, just pretty much just read it through. All right. Then he said there was a certain man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Jesus is talking now. He says, father. So he says, father, this younger son says, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. Basically, I would like my inheritance now. And so it says that he divided to them his livelihood. He divided them up between his two sons. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want, in need. And then he, he went and he joined himself, it says, to a, a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, which for a Jewish young man, there, you couldn't have fallen any lower. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine, the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. You know, I will arise. I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven and before you. And, and, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran to him, fell on his neck, threw himself around him, began to kiss him. And, and he said, son, and the son said to him, father, I, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put on a ring, put it on his hand and the sandals, put them on his feet and bring out the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and, and be merry. We're going to celebrate for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but he's found. And they began to celebrate and be merry. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard the music and he heard the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has, has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and he would not go in. And therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry and celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood, our money with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said, son, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead. But he's alive again. And he was lost, but he's been found. And he stops. Now, there is so much there. I mean, this is an amazing story. It's filled with layers of truth. Part of the beauty of this parable, it has texture to it. Looking at it from different angles will teach us different things. I love Rembrandt's picture painting of the, of the prodigal moment. And he's, there's always people who've just sort of pondered this moment, this story. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. At the center, it's clearly a story that's designed to illustrate the, the relentless and tender love of God. No question about it. No one can argue with that. The image that Jesus presents, the image that he presents us of of God, like as a desperate, undignified father running to embrace and then just weeping over his broken, lost boy. That, that imagery that Jesus gives us is powerful and is profound, right? But when we examine that story from a different angle, from the angle of celebration, we find that there's actually much much to learn about how we are to celebrate life. And I'm going to put a couple of things up and just kind of move through this story. The first thing I want to suggest, and I'll try to give it enough time to stay up there so that if you're taking notes, you can write it down or type it in. But we must remember one of the things that stands out here is the danger of celebration that becomes reckless. And I kind of want to put that on the board first because we must remember that unhealthy celebration can actually hurt and damage our lives. Um, the younger son was a celebrator he clearly loved the party. There's no question about it. And he is revealed as a young man who we can understand. Because the truth is, the way Jesus pictures him is he's just kind of bored with the mundane familiarity of 
living where he does. It's like he's going, you know what? I, I got to get out of this day. It's killing me. I feel so hemmed in. He wants to go out. He wants to stretch his wings. He wants to experience life. He wants to push his, his you know, boundaries. He wants to push it to the extreme. That's the picture. So what he does is he says, Father, I, I would like to cash in my inheritance. And then it says that he heads out, but he starts to spend it. First a little bit, then a little bit more. But then he starts to get reckless. And the more he becomes reckless, we might call it partying hard. And the more he does it, the more he spends. He's got a lot of friends. A lot of so-called friends. Till he uses up his money. He's got nothing left. Maybe just a habit and a need. And no more money. Doesn't even get a job. Can't get one. Can't find one. Bible says, as Jesus tells it, there was a famine. We you know what we would say? The famine, the economy turned bad. That's how we would say it. And all of a sudden, people were having a hard time finding jobs. And he couldn't find one. And he was hungry. He couldn't even feed himself. There was no social network. They all knew that. If you didn't have your family, you had no network. What am I going to do? I'm going to get a job. There's only one job he could find. Jesus said, working with pigs. That had an opening. And then it says, Jesus said, and you know what? The pigs ate better than him. Because they were being fattened. And he would envy even their food at times. And finally it says he came to his senses. Right? That's the picture. He's getting so, it's like he's just, he's the, I would put it. It's like he is, he is the picture of someone who's hungry, who's used, who's been abandoned. He's a picture of celebrating to a point where it has become self-destructive. Anyway, when he finally decides to head home, he's ashamed. He's utterly destitute. He's a very, oh, he is so different than the brash young man who left. When he left, it's like, hey, you know what? I just want my money. I hope I'm not being too proud, but I just like to have it and get out of this place because it's killing me. I want to live, I want to live life. Gets there when he's coming, but he is so different coming back home. All the bravado's gone. Oh, he's, not, he's, he's, he's not proud. He's no longer naive. Because he has, you know why? He has experienced pain. Real pain. And there's something about that. <laughs> and, and then on top of that, he has experienced a loss of self-worth. And he has known shame. When we know those feelings, man, that changes who we, as Jesus tells, and as Jesus tells it, when the father sees him, he runs to him though, with tears in his eyes for his son who was dead. You know, it's that picture, he is alive and, and he embraces him joyfully and he, he cries over him, it's time to celebrate. And that really is a reminder of the second principle that I like to put up, which is this, and we'll just put it up on the board. That there are some moments, some things so wonderful that they just need to be celebrated. It's part of what makes life rich. I mean, not all days are the same. Some days are really tough. Some seasons are tough. Some days are going, oh, that was like the worst. That was so bad. It's bad. Other days are so good. Something happens that's so amazing. We got to mark the moment. We got to honor it. And that's something that's going on right here. You know, um, uh, some things just demand a celebration. I'll just, and then flip this right down one more notch. I'm going to say it this way. This wonderful story reminds us of this. This is the third piece. That celebration should be joyful. And 
that sometimes it's okay, guys, to even go over the top. <laughs> I mean, because the reason, because what we're celebrating is so amazing. Sometimes on rare occasions, pushing past decorum to express our love and our gratitude, that might be like, think about it, the picture of the father that Jesus gives, he's running, he's running. All of a sudden he sees his son in the distance and he's running, his rows are flying, he maybe isn't even all the way buckled up, you know, he's just running full speed. He can't stop maybe some of the others. What is going on with him, right? Look at that, look at him go. This is the leader, this is the man. He's supposed to be contained, but he can't help it. He throws it all off, I'm running. And he gets to him, he's already crying by the time he gets there. Throws his arms around him, weeps over him. He's just the picture of someone. He calls out. You know, like, it's like, it's like he's just, that's because love and joy have taken over. He says, this is a time for feasting, for music, for dancing, for laughter, for special gifts. Now, some of us could say, well, that's, that's kind of like, you could per se, well, isn't that a little bit wasteful? I mean, did he have to do it? Because prodigal means, look at this, prodigal means wasteful. And you could, you could suggest that really he was also being prodigal. He was, he was kind of like, because what does he do? He, his reaction, look at his reaction. It's almost excessive. You can almost, you know, what about, come on now. Cal calm down because shouldn't we teach him a lesson right now? I mean, shouldn't we say, you know, shouldn't we say, so look, you know, son, now what did you learn here? <laughs> I'm thinking about myself and going, hmm. <laughs> now, so now, and I hope next time you won't take for granted all these gifts that this, you know, why don't you, why don't you take some time to go think about what you've done and then, and how much now you should be appreciating our relationship better than what it was. No, that's not the picture at all. I mean, the picture is so, it's so remotely different. It's like, come on, Father, I got, I, I, I didn't come here expecting to be restored to a place of, I didn't come, I know I gave every, I'm not, I'm not asking you to restore me to be a son, I just ask you if you, would you be able to um, give me a, a job? Because, and when the father was hugging and weeping on that boy, kissing him, he could feel his body and it was frail and it was thin and he was emaciated and he loved him and he said, you bring out the, bring out a robe, bring out a robe, bring out the ring. Bring some sandals out, and then and then get the fatted calf. Get that fatted calf. We're gonna we're gonna have a party. We're gonna celebrate my boy who was dead. He's alive. He's crying, and this is this beautiful moment. I mean, and, and in a way, Jesus is driving home from a spiritual perspective, right? That the the amazing love of God is just it will go out. It pursues us, and all of us, all of us. Listen, every one of us here, even the best of us. And who can really say, like I like to say, our lost, we're broken, and we're all needed forgiveness. And from time to time, we really need a holy embrace. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how shamed we are, we are always, listen, do you remember this? We are always welcomed home. And he will kiss us. And he will put his arms around us, and he will love us, and he will call you my beloved son, my beloved daughter. You come home. The key is going home. It's not, he didn't get the lecture he got the blessing when he didn't deserve it. What's going on? There's no holding back. It's celebration. The key, though, is that we got to go home. We can't, the Lord won't make us do that. We have to decide. You know what Jesus said in the story? He came to himself. What am I doing? What am I doing? 
don't want to be here anymore. This is crazy. What am I doing? I'm going home. I'm going home. That's what he says. Now, I think about that and I go, wow, okay, take it one step further. Because Jesus could have, if Jesus just stopped right there, that would have been a great lesson on the love of God and this amazing welcoming us, how it welcomes us back, no matter what we do. But he didn't stop there. Because there was one other person in his story, the older brother. And when we look at the older brother, what do we notice? <laughs> we notice a few things, don't we? He too has something to teach us about celebrating life's gifts and surprises. When the news came that lost little brother was home and that the father was throwing a party for him, do you know, it was so hard. It was a hard pill. It was a bitter pill. He had asked a simple question. Jesus said, hey, because it says he was in the field, so he wasn't a distance. I see him in there. What's, uh, what's going on with... Uh, What's all the ruckus? Bad? What's all the, the, the music and stuff? What's everybody yelling? What's happened? What's happening? You didn't hear? Hear what? I didn't hear. What do you, you didn't hear the news. No, I, I, I didn't hear anything. I don't, that's what, I'm, I was, what do you mean? You didn't hear the news. Your brother, who we thought might be dead, he's home. He's back. He's alive. It's a miracle. You got to hurry up. Hey, you know what? Your dad, he is, he is so, oh man, he is, a, he is just rejoicing. He wants to have a, he's called for a celebration. And, and he says, we're going to have, we're going to have a, a, just this, we're going to have a calf, but not just any calf. You're not going to believe this. It's not just a calf. It's the fatted calf. <laughs> the one, the one that we've been holding the prize, the one that's been for that special moment. You know how much dad loves that calf. We're going to have a time together to celebrate this miracle. Your brother is alive. He's back. He's home. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. What? Does he remember how my brother left us? What is he doing? Because that stopped him in his tracks. Does he remember how disrespectful he had been? How wasteful he was spending his inheritance? Our money, my father's money, our family's money. And what did he do with it? He wasted it. He, he wasted on reckless living. And he, he, he lived it up. He was with the harlots and thieves. And he, he wasted everything we've worked for. The last thing I'm doing, the last thing we should be doing, I can't believe we're even, even thinking about it, is having a party to celebrate his return. Yet alone, the fatted calf, that's unbelievable. I'm not going in. I want nothing to do with it. That's the attitude. It's intense. It seemed incredible. How can we throw a homecoming party and feast on something that special? No, it's wrong. It's unjust. It's unforgivable. I will not go in. I will not go in. And you know what happens? Bitterness was beginning to wrap around and grip his heart like a, like a vine wrapping itself around a pole. And a fourth principle is now exposed. It stands out. To, it should stand out. 
Here it is. When we refuse to participate in life celebrations because we are offended or angry, the one that we ultimately hurt the most is us. We can always find reasons to stay outside. There will always be things we can point to to justify our unwillingness to show up or just to have a bad attitude about life. People will, look, look, people will always let us down. What are you saying? (laughs) I'm saying it. I'm saying that if we're honest, we too have and will let others down because none of us are perfect. We don't do this right all the time. None of us. Um, We will all need mercy at some point in our lives. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Certainly the prodigal was an extreme example. I get that. He had squandered so much. He didn't deserve anything. Certainly not a celebration. And that was the point. Because that is what the grace of God is all about. Not because we earn it or deserve it, but because he gives it to us. Because it is who he is. The older brother's anger and resentment had the potential to do real damage. So what does it do? It prompts the father. Look how Jesus said. It prompts the father to go out. I love that. He ran to the lost son and went out to the older son. And it was another expression of God's love. It, 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 again, it shows us how he reaches, reaches out. His, why? Because his older brother, right, was having a hard time. He was struggling to celebrate what was clearly almost like a miraculous recovery. Why? Listen to me. Listen to me. He was stuck in justice. And as a result, was unable to give mercy. Not stuck in injustice. Stuck in justice. Stuck in Justice and unable to give mercy. Struggling with grace, he refuses to celebrate. And how much of joy, how much of life's joy is lost when we refuse to let go of our offenses, our resentments, holding on to them like a drowning man or a woman, I will not let go, refusing the hand that is reaching out to us, inviting us to live. Come on, by grace. Come on, by grace. You don't have to go this way. Come on. The father reached out to his older son. And he reasoned with him and he affirmed him. And he said, look, I love you. All that I have is yours. No one questions you. You've been faithful. But if you have nothing in your heart for your brother, if you think it's wrong, if it's somehow a slight against you, to celebrate the fact that he is alive, then you have something else going on inside of you. How dwells the love of God in you, in all of us? I'll leave it with this. This will be our final, fifth and final piece. Some situations in life are so happy that the real tragedy will be to miss the moment. Happiness and celebration go hand in hand. They tend to live together like true friends. How many happy minutes do we miss on this side of eternity because we're angry, locked up, angry, locked up, hurt, 
or because like the older brother, we feel underappreciated and overlooked. And so I will not go in. I will not go in. And the Lord, the Lord is reaching out to us in that place. And he's inviting us to go in. And that is to me amazing. Like what are the things that God calls us to move into? What are the things that God calls us to embrace? What are the things that God's calling us to celebrate? To me, this is the thing. The Lord invites us into these places. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to bless what we've just shared. And then, then we're going to have our time of giving, which is in its own way a celebration. Then we're going to close out with the song that is actually directly connected to everything we shared. I mean, it's sort of like meant to get us to sit with what, what we've just shared together. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to ask God to bless it. And Lord, I thank you for this time and I thank you for this word. And I pray that we would be open to thinking about who we are here. Lord, is, are, we, are we like the prodigal one in need of your love out of the context of our shame? Is there a part of us, Lord, that identifies more with the older brother who in his own way is missing your heart as well because he's locked up? And Lord, sometimes things can lock us up and it gets in the way of what you're trying to do. But I love you because you don't abandon us either direction. You didn't abandon either one. You go out to where we are. You meet us. You meet us where we are and, 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 and you contend for us and you... You plead with us and you remind us of things. And that's the relentless love of God. And I just pray that it would cause us to want to, to celebrate our life better. And these, this enormous gift we've been given called life, that we would live it better. Help us with our struggles. Help us to aspire well. Keep us from temptation and lead us in the path of life. Let life flow. Blessing in Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen and amen, Lord. All right.